Andrew, we're so excited for you, and we're just going to take a moment to pray for you right now. It's great to see Andrew up here, isn't it? How many of you knew him when he was... Yeah, yeah, yeah. The Lord is working. Let's pray. Oh, Father, we are thankful for you and what you do. This is your work. Andrew is your work. What you're doing in his heart is because of what you are doing in, in his life and what you desire to do through his life. Father, thank you for calling Andrew from complacency, from calling him from just knowing scripture to, to having relationship with you and, and a passionate desire to serve and seek you. We pray that you would just continue to, to ignite that and kindle that in his life. We pray that as he goes off to, to Moody, that you would just um, help him to persevere in his faith. Pray that as he steps away from home and away from his home church, that he would uh, just find in you all that he needs, that it would be a time of, of tremendous growth for him, and that your calling would be affirmed in him, and that you would continue to, to strengthen that calling. Thank you for how you want to use him. Thank you for the gifts that you have given him. Thank you for calling him to ministry. Lord, whatever work that is for him, empower him. Embolden him with your spirit. Give him all that he needs. Protect him, Lord. Help him and just strengthen him. And Lord, we look forward to hearing and seeing great things as he perseveres in the faith through his life, Lord. Thank you for your work by your Holy Spirit. And it's in the great and powerful name of Jesus that we pray this. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Andrew. Thomas Jefferson, did you ever hear of him? All right, all right. So Thomas Jefferson had a, um, a, a great love and appreciation for the Bible. And uh, he, uh, he really uh, appreciated the teachings of Jesus. But he had a problem. He had a problem that, that problem was that he never could see a miracle. And so he decided that he would rearrange the Bible for us and remove all the miracles because he said he felt that he was a better Christian. If he could believe in Jesus without the miracles, that made him even a stronger, a stronger Christian. So, you know, as he comes to the Gospel of John, as we're doing today, we would say, uh, let's see, John chapter 1, well, that's great. We learned that Jesus is God. That's, that's a great thing. And then John chapter two, uh, no, he changes, he changes the water into wine. We can't have that because that's a miracle. And uh, let's see, John chapter three, great teaching. Uh, Nicodemus, it's exciting. John chapter four, he talks to the woman at the well. Fantastic. John chapter five, oh, so that's the healing of the healing of the lame man. No, we better we better take that out uh, because because I can't believe that, that it ever happened. Uh, John chapter, oh my, John chapter six, that's the whole chapter is the, uh, is the I'm just gonna take a few pages out of that. John chapter six. Uh, John chapter 11, the raising of Lazarus. Nope, I'm gonna cut that out. And oh, finally, John chapter 20, that's the resurrection of Jesus. I can't believe in that. We're taking that out, let's just rip that out. That is the Thomas Jefferson Bible. You can see it at the Smithsonian Institute. He never saw, he never saw <laughs> the miracles and so he couldn't believe them. 
He could not believe the miracles. Today, we are going to look at John chapter 20. John chapter 20 is really, oh, let me just back up for one minute. I know some of you are nervous. This was not a real Bible, all right? Okay, I went, I went to, to Goodwill and bought a book that looked like a Bible, not a real Bible. Wouldn't do that. Whew, you can settle, you can listen now, you can pray. <laughs> John chapter 20. John chapter 20 really is the climactic chapter in the Gospel of John because in it, the Apostle John, through the Holy Spirit, is tying together all of the themes that have been present all along. And in it, we finally see the reaction of the disciples and of Mary to to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We already read two of those incidents. And in this chapter, from chapter one on, John has presented the, the, the case that Jesus is God, and because he is God, he is worthy of our obedience, and we should put our belief and our trust in him. And so as we look at this chapter, we're going to see four scenes of groups of people who came to belief in Jesus because they saw something. They saw something. Now, we're also going to see that, that the word see and saw come up throughout. And if you've been in any Bible study with me, you know the first thing we do when we observe, make observation in a biblical passage is look for repeated words. You're gonna see a lot of that today. So let's pray that the Lord will help us to see the truth he has for us today. Lord, we don't wanna pray. We come to your word. We come to your word looking for you. We come to your word with belief in our hearts because we are desiring to hear from you, desiring to hear what you have for each one of us today. Fill us with your word. May your word instruct us in the paths of righteousness this morning. We are depending upon you in Jesus' name, amen. So the first scene that we already read about was where Mary comes to the tomb in the dark. She gets there, it's too dark to actually look in, but she sees that the stone has been rolled away. Alarmed that maybe grave robbers had come, she runs to get Peter and John. She goes and tells them. So Peter and John run to the tomb, and I always think it's funny that John includes in there, but John got there before Peter because obviously he was faster. And I always picture Peter saying, really, John? Did you have to put that in there? For thousands of years, people are going to read that you were faster than me. And he reminds us a couple of times throughout. But in any case, John gets there, and he bends over to look in, and by the time he gets there, it's light enough that he can see the grave clothes that were wrapped around Jesus lying right in place. He's looking while Peter, no doubt breathless because he's out of shape, comes up, runs. He passes John and steps actually into the tomb. And while he's in the tomb, he also sees the grave clothes lying in place, but he also notices that the head wrapping, which is wrapped around the head to keep the jaw closed, had been taken off folded up and placed in place. John goes in and looks as well. Now picture this, what are they thinking? They're in the tomb. If it was a grave robber, the grave robber probably would have carried the body out wrapped because it's just easier to carry a, a, a body that's wrapped up. A grave robber probably also would have left the wrappings on because there would have been valuable spices wrapped up in the cloths. What went on here? What happened? The clothes are lying there. Nothing's in disarray. Everything is in place. 
John looks, he sees the empty tomb, and he believes. John spent three years with Jesus, seeing the miracles that this guy could never believe in, hearing the teachings of Jesus, hearing him say that he was God. And at this moment, John sees the empty tomb, and it's like the light goes on. He believes that Jesus really is who he says he was and that what he says is compelling him to believe. And this is John's time for believing. Well, after that, Peter and John leave the tomb and the next scenario comes. Mary, who's obviously much slower than Peter, gets back to the tomb. It's now light. She's not afraid to go in. She goes in and there where the, where the body of Jesus should be laying are two angels. Now, she doesn't recognize them as angels, but it's important that John tells us they're angels because what he's communicating to us is that there's something, something miraculous going on here. This is a work of God, and two angels are present. As I say, she doesn't recognize them. She asks, where did you put Jesus? Suddenly, there's a man behind her. Again, she doesn't recognize it, but it's the risen Jesus. And he says, Mary... No, he doesn't say Mary. He just says, who are you looking for? Who are you seeking? And who was she seeking? Well, she was seeking the dead Jesus. There is no dead Jesus. Jesus is alive. Jesus is alive, and she's seeking for the wrong thing. And then Jesus so beautifully calls out her name, Mary. And at that moment, she believes. She saw him. She recognized him and wrapped her arms around him. And can you picture this? Can you picture the the great reunion, the tears, the laughter, they're crying, they're hugging, they're they're embracing one another. I thought you were gone. How did you get here? How did this happen? What a joyful moment. And apparently it was such a great moment that Mary just didn't want to let go. And she held on to him. And Jesus finally gently reminds her, he says, Mary, you have to let go. You have to let go because from now on, I must go back to my father and our relationship is going to be different. Instead of going to be eye to eye or looking one-on-one with each other, I'm going to be in you. It's going to be a spiritual relationship. Now, there's something we can't miss here. Mary is the first one to see Jesus. Up until this point in the Gospels, Mary is a very insignificant character. In fact, all we know about Mary is that uh, she was possessed by a demon. Jesus cast the demon out of her. And then other than that, we know that she followed Jesus with a group of ladies. But at this point, the reason why Mary exists came to, came to pass. Jesus chose her to be the first person to see him risen. Can you imagine that privilege? And then he tells her, Mary, not only do you see me risen, but I want you to go and tell my disciples. So now he makes her the first witness, the first messenger to go and tell the disciples that she's seen the risen Lord. What's so significant about this is that Mary was so insignificant. Have you ever felt insignificant? Felt like you've had no purpose or like, Like, you don't really matter? Mary probably felt that. I mean, she was possessed by a demon. Look at her past. Her past was horrible. But Jesus revealed himself to her first. What it tells us is that Jesus has a plan for us and will reveal himself to us. And that plan is that you and I should do just what Mary did. 
to go out and witness to what we see. She saw, she saw that Jesus was risen and she went to tell the disciples as the first messenger. And that's what he calls us to do. This gives us great purpose. We're not insignificant, and and our feeling of insignificance is nothing to Jesus. It means nothing to him. It doesn't thwart him, it doesn't stop him, it doesn't hinder him from doing what he wants to do. Jesus wants to use you for his purpose, and he will do it. Be faithful and see what he is doing. There's a great song in VBS. The line in the song was, I matter to God and he matters to me. It's really true, isn't it? I matter to God and he matters to me. So we see here that Mary believed because she saw the risen Christ. John believed because he saw the empty tomb. Mary believed because she sees the risen Jesus. And now we come to the third scenario. So when it was evening on that same day, so this is the Sunday that Jesus rose from the dead. When it was evening on that same day, the first day of the week, and when the doors were shut where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood in their midst and said to them, peace be with you, shalom, shalom. And when he said this, he showed them both his hands and his side. The disciples then rejoiced when they saw the Lord. What's so important about this is that here is where we we have the fulfillment of many of the promises. Remember, in the last few weeks, we studied chapters 13 through 17, and said those five chapters were the chapters where Jesus was alone with his disciples and teaching them the things that were most important on his heart. Well, one of the things he taught them was that that they would not see him for a while, but then they would see him again, and here he is in their midst. He told them, he told them that, that they would have great sorrow because he would be gone, but then that they would have joy and that no one could take away that joy. And here they are, it says they rejoiced when they saw the Lord. He said that they would have peace, not peace of this world, but the true peace of God, true shalom, which is entire wholeness and peace. And that's what he speaks to them here. So here we have, in just these two verses, a fulfillment of so many of the teachings that we've seen throughout the Gospel of John. And then beyond that, he promised them that they would take over his work on earth. And so Jesus said to them again, peace be with you, as the Father sent me, I also send you. As the Father sent me, I also sent you. So Jesus, throughout the gospel, has been showing us how the Father sent him. Do you remember his words? He would say things like, I can only speak what the Father has given me to speak. I can only do what the Father has given me to do. You see, he was representing the Father in such a way that when people would look at him, they were seeing the Father. Jesus was the Father on earth. He says, in that same way, I also send you. This should rock our world. Think about this. In the same way, just like Jesus showed us exactly what God was, we are to show the world exactly what Jesus is. So that means I should say, just what Jesus would say. 
I ought to be doing exactly what Jesus would be doing. I need to represent him. I need to be his image so that when the world looks at me, they say, I don't see John, I see Jesus in him. That's what's supposed to happen when the world looks at us. Now, I say he's a representative, or, or we represent it, and I'm afraid that when we talk about that, it almost sounds cliche, like, okay, I represent Jesus on earth, I'm supposed to do what he does, but I want you to think about it with me for a minute. How different would your relationships be if every word you said reflected your king? How different would your testimony be, or how would your testimony change if you really understood the truth that you are Christ's ambassador to the world? How different would growth or sanctification be in your life if instead of submitting to sin's rules, you submitted to the image of Christ in you? I would put before you very different. We would be very different if we were truly representing Christ on earth. And what I love about this is that Christ doesn't even just say, say to them, all right, just represent me. But then he says, I'm going to give you everything you need to do that. And that's in the next verse. When he said this to them, he breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. And you see what's happening here is there's a, there's a connection to the Old Testament when God breathed life into Adam Jesus here is breathing the spirit into the disciples. He is giving them everything that they need for life. So not only is he calling them to represent him, but he's giving them what they need to represent him. Believer, the promised Holy Spirit is inside you. Now we have a different relationship. Our relationship is different. The disciples now will have a different relationship because Jesus isn't just beside them. He is actually in them. He's in them. His physical presence, which was manifest with them for three years, is now going to be replaced with a presence actually inside of them. It's now much more intimate. He pointed this out to Mary before when he said, you need to let go of me. Our relationship will be different now. Believer, Jesus is always present in you. Not just with you, but in you. What this means is that he is giving you comfort when you grieve. He's giving you wisdom when you seek him. He's giving you strength when you are tempted. He gives you conviction when you stray. And he gives you courage when you are afraid. He is always ministering to you. That's what the Holy Spirit does. But he's not in you just for you. You see, he's in you for me as well. This is what the church is all about. Let me remind you that as believers, we grow. We have three instructors to help us grow. Our instructors are the Holy Spirit of God, the word of God, and the church of God. Yes, the church of God. We cannot forsake the church of God. Do you realize that all the one another commands would mean nothing if we had, didn't have one another in our lives, right? God put that in there so that we would relate to one another. But the Lord instructs us through his Holy Spirit, his word, and his church. So I'm preaching to the choir right now because here you are in church, right? But... Well, first of all, if you are watching online, thank you for watching online. If you can get to a church, 
please get to a church. I know that some of you are, need to stay at home because of physical needs or whatever. We understand that. But if you can get to a church, you need to be in a church. Because if you're not taking advantage of this opportunity here and the many ministries that happen through the weeks, and I'm talking about small groups, talking about prayer meeting, I'm talking about Bible studies, of Sunday school, if you are not taking advantage of those things, you are thwarting your own growth. The Lord wants you to grow. He wants you to grow. Get involved in your church. Become a part of what's going on here. You must do that for your own growth. If you're not doing that, you are stunted, even if you are depending on the Holy Spirit and Jesus and the word of God. You see, part of what happens is so beautiful because not only does he give you comfort, but then he uses you to comfort me. That's what the church is about. He not only gives you strength, but he gives me strength through you because the Holy Spirit is in you. He not only convicts you when you stray, but he convicts me through you and challenges me through you because we need one another because the Holy Spirit is present in one another. So we come to the end of our third scene where the disciples believe and rejoice because they see Jesus. Then the fourth part, you know that at that time, We didn't read it there, but Thomas wasn't present with the disciples. So only 10 of the disciples were there. Thomas wasn't there. When he got back there, they said to him, Jesus was here, and he said, unless I have physical proof, I will never believe. I've got to see it. I have to see it, just like Thomas Jefferson. So eight days later, which means it's the next Sunday, okay? When the Hebrews count days, they count the first one as day one. So this is the next Sunday, the next Lord's Day in the evening. After eight days, his disciples were again inside and Thomas was with them this time. Jesus came, the doors having been shut, and stood in their midst and said, Shalom, peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, reach here and touch your finger. I'm sorry, reach here with your finger and see my hands. And reach here with your hand and put it into my side. And do not be unbelieving, but believing. Thomas answered and said to him, my Lord, my God. And Jesus said to him, because you have seen me, have you believed? Blessed are they who did not see and yet believe. I never noticed something in this passage until until I was preparing for this message. It never actually says that Thomas touched him. Did you catch that? Jesus invites him to touch him. It never actually says that Thomas touched him. Now, he may have. We don't know. But the point is that Thomas's reaction to Jesus upon seeing him was, my Lord, my God. And again, something very special is happening here. What is Thomas known as? Doubting Thomas. I mean, the whole world knows this guy as Doubting Thomas, right? His proclamation right here, my Lord and my God, is the strongest proclamation of the deity of Christ in all of the Gospels. Not even Peter's profession approaches this admission of Jesus Christ being God. The Lord gave that to the most doubting disciple. What does that tell you? Oh, If you're a doubter, there's hope for you. There's hope for you. 
my Lord and my God. And not only Lord and God, but my Lord and my God. This is Thomas's profession of faith upon seeing the risen Lord and seeing the proof of his resurrection that it really was he who rose from the dead. My Lord and my God. Thomas was looking for physical reality. He would not believe, he said he would not believe unless he had physical proof. Now, I know that some of you struggle with doubt. And doubt can be a very difficult thing. Some people are just natural critics, right? They just naturally question things. Some people don't. Some people are just natural critics, natural doubters, and that's really okay. I wanna say to you, that God is never afraid of your questions. You can ask him anything. There is an answer. We may not always have the clear answer here, but there is an answer for every question you have. But one of the concerns I have is that I've known people who would consider themselves doubters or questioners, and they waste their life doubting. They spend their time wallowing in their unbelief, never get past it, and never produce fruit in their life. They don't get to the point of producing fruit for the Christian life. Doubter, it's time to get moving. Stop staying where where you're at. Get the answers you need to. Come talk to me, come talk to our elders. We have a library full of resources that you can get answers from. Great, you have questions, seek the answers. When you seek those answers, you'll be all the stronger for it. But if you stay in doubt, you will not be able to be used the way the Lord wants to use you. It's like going back to the beginning over and over and over. Get past that. You know, the Lord is doing a work here. There's a movement going on here. We, we are moving to not just be Christians who are filled with God's word, but Christians who are pouring it out. Christians who are changing our community because of the word of God alive in our lives and the Holy Spirit working in us. We are moving in that direction. And if you stay in a place of questions, a place of doubt, a place of unbelief, you will not be a part of that movement. You cannot be. God can't use you the way he intends to use you. I don't think Thomas ever doubted after this. Do you? I don't think so. I don't think so. He saw the risen Jesus. Now, he may have still been skeptical, right? I mean, that's just probably part of his personality, but that's okay. I want to move back to something that Jesus said to Thomas here when he said, do not be unbelieving, but believing. The word belief in the Gospel of John is almost always in the verb form, to believe. And it's almost always in what we call a progressive or a continuous tense. So he doesn't call us to believe, he calls us to be believing. You see, belief is not just something that happens at the beginning of our Christian walk, and then we're done with it. To be a follower of Christ means that we are constantly believing and constantly growing in our believing. Our believing is moving somewhere. We're gaining more knowledge and believing more truth about the Lord, and we keep going in that role that's happening. We're constantly believing. And that's what the Gospel of John is giving us. It's a continual action. In this chapter, we have an incredible amount of empirical evidence for 
for the gospel, an empirical evidence for the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We see in this chapter that there was an empty tomb, that there was a rolled stone, that there were grave clothes, there was a, the headdress that was folded up. There's the risen Jesus, there were angels. We have incredible empirical evidence that Mary and the disciples had the opportunity to see. And it was so substantiated that this is what was written down for us. And John himself was so impressed with what he saw that he writes this, later on, he writes this to the churches over which he was seeing. He says, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at and our hands have touched, this we proclaim concerning the word of life. And in case you didn't get it, we have seen it and testified to it and we proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and has appeared to us. We have that written down. That's what is in our Bibles. And you and I have the opportunity to witness it. Now, we will not ever be able to be like Thomas and say, unless I see it physically, I can't believe. Or like Thomas Jefferson tried. He was on the this side of things, and on this side of things, we get to read about it. And what Jesus actually says about this is incredible to me, because he says, blessed are they who do not see. We're actually blessed that we did not get to see the risen Jesus. That's hard to believe. I think, Lord, I wanted to see you. I, I want to see that, that empty grave but we have a special place of blessing because we did not see and yet believe. And that blessing is because the Holy Spirit has given us spiritual eyes to see what we can't see with our physical eyes. Now, I know there are some Thomases here demanding proof, demanding physical experience with Jesus, but there is a special blessing of joy and of peace, the shalom, the, the, the wholeness of peace when we believe and keep believing because the Holy Spirit is revealing the life of Jesus Christ to us, who he is and what he has done. So believer, what Jesus said, stop being unbelieving. Rather, be believing. Be believing, move on from the beginning. Come join the movement of what's going on. It's time to stop doubting, time to grow, time to become useful in God's hands. Be believing and be growing in your believing. But I don't doubt also, speaking of doubting and believing, I don't doubt that there may be some here who don't know the Lord, who don't believe. Like Thomas Jefferson, maybe you've made your own Jesus to look, out, to look just like you because that's what he did. He made Jesus to be a good teacher. Jesus was the, the pioneer of a religion. Thomas Jefferson, the pioneer of a nation. Jesus is no better. And maybe for you, that's how Jesus is. Just no better than that. I want to ask you the question. The question that Jesus asked Mary. Who are you looking for? Whom are you seeking? Are you seeking the body of Jesus? Are you seeking, seeking the empty tomb? What are you seeking? You're not going to find the dead Jesus because he is alive. Are you seeking happiness, security, love, acceptance, hope, purpose? You will only find these things in the risen Jesus. If he remained in the grave, he could never offer those things to us. He could offer us just good teaching. 
but we could never have true joy, true peace, true security, true acceptance by God the Father, true love. He died for your sins and he rose again to give us new life. One of our VBS teachers said this so beautifully. She said, if you are holding on to sin, you can never go to heaven because there's no sin in heaven. Will you let go of sin today? Let go, drop it. It's doing you no good. What good has it done you? Nothing. Let go of it and instead cling, abide, hold on to Jesus, our only hope. The risen Jesus, the Savior, who does miracles in lives and will and can do a miracle in your life if you let him if you come to him today. We're gonna sing a closing song. As we sing that song, I'm going to be up front and I'm gonna invite you to come down. If you want to make a commitment to Jesus Christ today, to say, Lord, I want to receive you, just like John saw the empty tomb and believed, as Mary heard her name and believed, and the disciples saw Jesus, the risen Jesus, and believed, you wanna make that commitment to believe today, come forward during this song. I'll pray with you, I'll help you get started, What are you waiting for? Who are you seeking? Just as Jesus presented himself to them, he presents himself to you today. And this is truth, let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for being found. (laughs) Lord, you showed yourself to the disciples. You showed yourself to witnesses who, who spoke about the truth of you and have given us their testimony. Lord, give us eyes to see, eyes to believe, hearts to open up to you, Lord. Do a work now, Lord, in our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen.